Um, welcome to Australia, um, television's Lancel Lannister, Eugene Simon. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thank you very, very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I'm convinced that um, at, at the episode, the finale of Game of Thrones is going to see your character dying a brutal death. Now, you can't ah. tell me if you can. You can't tell me if you do or not. <laughs> I'm always optimistic for Lancel, and uh, so I have a feeling that you may be proven wrong, but oh! uh, we will have to wait and see. But isn't there a giant storage of wildfire hidden underneath King's Landing that Cersei's desperate to light? This is an interesting fan uh, story that's been come to, coming to me a couple of times, and um, we've featured Wildfire before, so I suppose you have to wonder if not whether or not we're willing to do it again. Oh, okay. Well, I don't <laughs> know. The dragons crop up as a as a Daenerys plot point with alarming regularity, so I would have there is surprised. generally speaking a lot of fire in this show. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you got like people just grilling you left, right, and centre about what's about to happen, uh, wrapping up series six? People are certainly very curious, but the interesting thing about it is they're not actually sort of manically keen on knowing. Most people are actually very composed and kind of wanting to have very structured questions that don't give away too much. So it's surprising how many people actually want to just watch the episode without any spoilers. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's true. And I, I was reading an article the other day, uh, Eugene, and it said that um, theories are the new spoilers. Uh. So everyone's coming up with all these theories like, oh, Arya is a split personality or um, the the Hound and the Mountain are going to fight in the Cersei's trial by combat. And then the show, just when the episodes happen, like, no trial by combat. Arya just got stabbed and she's better now. And everyone goes, oh. Right, right. Well, the thing is, these theories are starting to become more and more, uh, there's the potential for so many of them to be true. That's what's so worrying about them. So I think that you're probably right. Theories are becoming more, theories have a very, very high value nowadays. So Mm. people should be afraid of that, I think. As a cast member of Game of Thrones, are you sitting on the internet reading what people are saying? Or do you prefer (laughs) to shield yourself from it? It's funny, there is so much of it. You know, it changes and updates every sort of five seconds. So I think to try to keep up would be quite a big job. I know that, uh, for example, the website, you know, Watchers on the Wall, they have yeah. to, uh, they have to, you know, keep updating everything on Google about five times in order to know <laughs> what people are hypothesizing. But for me to do it would probably be uh, too much of a full-time job. I think I'd have to, I'd have to, uh, t- you know, give up, give up my, uh, my day job in order to do that, which oh. I'm, not, I'm not yet willing to do. I've got to say, I'm pretty <laughs> close to keeping up with it. I'm <laughs> oh, good. Good, yeah, good. I'm doing my head in trying to figure it all out. And every time I try and predict anything, and I'm sure people can identify, I get it wrong and I go, God damn it. What? <laughs> well, keep guessing. Keep guessing. We like it. It uh, makes it more for a more fun story. Well, you're keeping the secrets of how this series ends, Series 6 of Game of Thrones, but it must have been pretty tough. Um, what was it like from the day you got the scripts for Series 6 through to when Episode 1 finally premiered? Um, keeping all the secrets around, especially Jon Snow. Yeah, well, I mean, that was a big one to keep. I actually, when I, I remember filming um, on t- towards the end of uh, December in uh, in Belfast, and I was about to walk on set, and just as I came out of uh, costume, uh, Kit, I bumped into Kit. And he was dressed as the Lord Commander and he was uh, basically waiting to film something himself. And I just went, hello, mate. Oh, so you're alive. Then he went, yeah, Eugene, yeah, I'm alive. Yeah, I'm alive. Yeah, very, a... very, very casually. And I went, oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. And then we went and got lunch together. So it was just, it was, it was, it was just, it was a, a sort of happened like an incident on the breeze. You know, I was just like, oh, good, you're alive. That's, that's, um, I'm glad to hear it. 
We don't so when, mention we don't mention that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Don't, ask, don't tell. Exactly, exactly. And then from then onwards, I think he just had to, you know, as he said himself, he had to keep it quiet. But you know, this I saw this this interview he did the other day. This funny story of a a, a, a cop. He got pulled over by. Um, uh, this is his story. I'm repeating. He got pulled over by a cop and ended up having to. Um, the cop said, "Listen, you understand you were going a little bit fast back there." And he went, "I'm really, really sorry." And the, the cop goes, "Okay, look." I want you to tell me, does your character survive into season six of Game of Thrones? And he looked at the police officer and went, yeah, he does. And the police officer just went, on your way, Lord Commander. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Exactly, exactly. It's and, a perfect a perfect example of uh, police injustice. Yeah, and also because the cop can't explain it because he'll get in trouble and Kit can't explain it because he'll get in trouble by divulging a spoiler. Exactly. So they were, they were mutually required to keep their mouths shut. Is that like, um, like the sort of your persona non grata number one if you accidentally like let slip a spoiler to the media, then everyone sort of gives you the stink eye around HBO for the next week? I, I've never known anyone to do it, so okay. I would assume pro- you're probably right, but I've never experienced that firsthand, so I wouldn't know. Um, your character is Lancel Lannister, I think. Uh, is it the cousin of Cersei? Yeah, it is. A lot of people think that she that he is uh, her sort of nephew, but no, he is her cousin. It'd be a bit creepy if it was a, a nephew. Oh, then again, I it mean, already she's is having bit, it sex al- with al- her brother. <laughs> it already is creepy, amigo. It already is yeah, creepy. Exactly, <laughs> keeping it in the family. Um, and your character has, I mean, it, people, I'm sure a lot of people couldn't, because there's so many characters and so many family relations, but your character was early on in the series as a sort of long, golden-haired, younger Lannister. Mm-hmm. And now he's come back as a sort of, Potato sack wearing, um, mutilated face, cudgel carrying, <laughs> religious extremist. Right. Um, so, what's the last, say, half decade of your life been like playing this character? It's been a pretty extraordinary journey. I mean, you know, when I got the role, I was told that uh, Lancel has this pretty extraordinary change of character um, from the books. And George very sweetly actually sent me an email when I first got the role. And when he sent it to me, he gave me a layout of what Lancel gets up to over the course of the five books he'd already written. Because yeah. he'd just done A Dance with Dragons by that point. This was, yeah. what, six years ago. Correct. So I had an idea of the way that he changes quite dramatically. But what we what was quite uh, fun for us to do, the tangent that Dan and David went on, was that Lancel and Game of Thrones comes back as, as you've said, a cudgel-wielding, rather thuggish and rather, um, uh, you know, rather, I would say, empowered and sort of focused individual. But yeah. in the books, he does end up f- sort of falling a little bit on the on the wayside. He is much more um, sort of, uh, he's much more brittle. He's got grey hair, long grey hair, very thin, one foot kind of in the coffin. So the in terms of the past six years, it's been very interesting to go from what I knew, how I knew he was identified in the first books, um, which we essentially created, we, we we kept the character very close to in the show, but then changing him rather dramatically. And for me as an actor, it, that was a very, very important, um, I guess, sort of milestone in my work, really, because it uh, it required a lot of uh, a lot of imagination. It required a lot of, uh, I guess, attention to detail. You know, I was I was fortunate enough at that time to be able to put on quite a lot of weight. Lancel in the first couple of seasons was very thin. He, a was, lean, he was a kid. Lean yeah, a very kid. He was yeah. a kid exactly, and now he's um, something of a something of a man. What what um, character is more fun to play, the golden haired child or the? Uh, cropped-headed, as you said, cudgel-wielding thug. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't be able. I don't think I'd be able to play the golden head boy now. Um, oh, I it's reckon you've got range. Natu- <laughs> I reckon you've got range. <laughs> no, I think I could do it, but it wouldn't be the same. I, I would. Uh, I think the naivety of Lancel and Thirteen Seasons One and Two uh, was, uh, should we say, fairly symbiotic to my yeah. age because I was only eighteen at the time. But I do enjoy. I, I've certainly. I enjoyed playing Lancel, the squire. At the time, just as much as today, I enjoy playing Lancel the thug. Um, but I think probably today, in you know 2016, I definitely enjoy playing Lancel the, the religious fanatic. He's got a bit of edge. Yes, he's got a little bit of power, a bit of gravitas, and he does tend to sort of change, even from seasons one and two, he does tend to change the outcome of the story rather dramatically yeah. whenever, whenever he comes on, uh, comes, comes on screen. So that's certainly a, uh, a fun sort of power to have, I guess. You said that you got an email from George R.R. R. Martin, the author of the whole series when you started mm. out, and he sort of said, you know, this is what you're doing through the next five books. There's two books that are yet to be published and you're about to start, I assume, unless you die on the finale, uh, that you're about to you know, keep going. Do you, has he told you what's coming up in future books? I have a funny story about that. I was sat down with George R. R. Martin on the season five premiere uh, in San Francisco and I sat down next to him and uh, he turned to me and he went, ah, in that wonderful voice of his, yeah. Hello, Lancel. How are you? And I went, I'm very well. Thanks, George. How are oh, you? Does he, he actually said, call you Lancel? He did. He called me Lancel. And I didn't correct him. I didn't correct him. <laughs> and he said to me, um, I said to him, how are you, how are you, how are you doing? How's, how's the writing? How's life? He went, very good. Thank you. I've just, uh, I've just started uh, writing a little scene for Lancel in the new book. Oh, and I went, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> so um, who knows? You may end up seeing some more stuff from Lancel in uh, The Winds of Winter. Yeah, unless you, unless you die. <laughs> unless exactly exactly unless that happens yeah maybe George is just as cruel with his actors as he is with his characters <laughs> there's a there's a good chance of that on this show on the uh you get to share some scenes with some uh some fantastic actors um first of all you get to do a lot of work um with the mountain himself uh Hafthor Bjornsson, or <laughs> yeah, Hafthor Bjornsson. He's a huge guy, the strongest six... man in the world. Yeah, yeah, he's broken a couple of records. He's mm. a six eight, six ten. He weighs about maybe four hundred pounds of solid muscle. He's just uh, he really is a machine. But he's also a very gentle giant. He's a lovely, lovely guy. He's um yeah, he's the kind of guy who, if you look at his Instagram, in one picture he's like towing a truck with his bare hands, and in the other he's like cuddling his two Pomeranians. Yeah, there's this great, there's this great, um, there's this great advert of him uh, basically fighting against the the power of like a kind of snow machine. Have you seen that? It's basically him doing a tug of war with a snow machine. Far it's out. Just, it's just, it's unreal. What's it like? <laughs> but isn't it, is it weird just being in the same room as him and knowing that these are the extremes that the human body can get to? It is. I once because in the scene where uh, the you know the many fans would have seen not last episode because we the the um, battle of the bastards is now aired, but yeah. in uh, no one uh, where Lancel's now formally decapitated colleague got his head ripped off. Yeah, um, we call I that the think... um, the I choose violence scene. Exactly yeah. the I choose violence scene. Well, in the I choose violence scene, I was wondering. I did. I did really think about asking him. Hathor, can you lift someone one armed <laughs> off clean off their feet? And um, he said. He said, no, it's quite difficult. It's difficult to do that. And in that wonderful Icelandic accent of his, and I went, yeah, but I'm sure you could try. I went, that's it. He, and he went, 
Yeah, possibly. Oh, it's like it's difficult <laughs> to do that. You never said in that sentence that you can't. You, you never said that you said can't, nor did you say yeah. that you haven't. Yeah, haven't, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What about, um, I mean, you also get to work with Lena Hetty as well. Mm. She, yeah, Lena's I mean, a lovely person, really I, sweet, very smiley, very enthusiastic, and um, and does a, a wonderful job as Cersei. And absolutely not the um, ice-cold mega-bitch queen that we see on the show. Absolutely not. She's a, she's a she's a ray of sunshine. She really is. She's very happy, very enthusiastic, and um, likes li- like so many of the cast members on Game of Thrones. She really likes to have a laugh on set. Her and uh, the two strongest memories I have are working with her on the first season, and then on with Peter Dinklage in season two, and um, they were just both very 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 funny like whenever the, the, the cameras are off they do like to make sure that it's they obviously focus very specifically on their work but the atmosphere is kept sort of upbeat enough to make it fun as well which you do sort of need you can't have too too much sobriety you can sort of slow slow the energy down a bit too much and so they're 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 wonderful like that you are here uh, down under for supernova um, which is a it's a pop culture expo and mm-hmm. um like what kind of excited, should I say, fans? Like what kind of questions have you been subjected to while you've been here? Well, the fans in uh, Sydney uh, that I've met so far have all been wonderful. I mean, they have gen- – I'm asked often, do you know, do you, do you, to put it bluntly, do you get any crazies coming up to you with really avid questions? And I go <laughs> – You are and one, I, mate. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that there was some sort of experience, but no, I don't. I mean, they are so composed. They are so specific with what they want to know and what they don't want to know. And, you know, it's really actually quite um, – it really keeps me on my toes to have to have so many varying questions come to me. And I have to remind myself – of um of what the answers are and what the whole what the entire storyline of Westeros is so it keeps me it keeps me pretty uh pretty sharp and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting everyone on the 25th and 26th this uh next weekend in Perth I can't wait give me an example of a question that has kept you on your toes like the kind of level these guys are operating at I think the question that keeps me on my toes is um, they are sometimes ask me, apart from the major houses, what house do you would you really like to be a part of? So oh. forget the Starks, forget the Lannisters, forget the Greyjoys, and so then I have to start thinking of sort of the sub houses yeah. that, that that exist. And the I Mandalays and, of right, White even Harbor. now, yeah. well, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then even now, the fact that I've even asked myself that question, I have to start wrapping my brain. And I go, I uh, I would say I'm not sure. Maybe House Mormons. They seem noble. They seem really fairly put together organized because they're on the show recently so they're top that's of the mind. thing but that's yeah. but that's the thing and i i have to i have to think of how many other houses there are yeah um i wouldn't be able to say the the car starks or something like that because people sort of go who oh you know? <laughs> yeah um, so you don't want to go too niche but you've got to be niche enough to be like prove, it's a, it's prove a your very worth thin line exactly exactly it's a very uh hard line to toe <laughs> what about if we go simpler and i just ask you if you could play any other character and i'm not talking even like you know your age i'm talking you could choose any any character of any age or any gender or anything mm-hmm. what would be your dream character to play well, I would say at this point that it's very funny that, uh, that Ian McElhenney, who played um, uh, Barristan Selmy on the show, once said that he'd love to play Arya Stark. Oh. So I'm glad that you said I'm glad that you said that it can be any gender, any age. But the truth is, I would genuinely I, I thought that Harry Lloyd did a great job as Viserys in season one, and that Alfie Allen still does a great job as um, Theon Greyjoy. The two stories mm. were just so rich. These are mm. very uh, these are characters that had really do still do have really interesting storylines. You know, Viserys was so uh, ambitious. 
he was obviously mentally quite unhinged. But just before he died, just before molten gold was poured on his head, you saw that he actually was a bit of a child. Mm. Just he just wanted to do right by the house, by his house, um, which is a which is which is pretty much what Lancel well in a different way Lancel wanted to do and what Theon wanted to do before awful things happened happened to them. Yeah. Um, so those two characters, Viserys and Theon, I would I would be interested to take a whirl at. I think um, Viserys, his death was the first moment, like, this is pre-Ned, and I went, whoa, I had this guy picked as a big bad. Like, this this is not my normal show, you know? Yeah, you're right. He was. His death was quite a surprise. I think people had sort of, you know, cozy themselves into the idea that this is a nemesis I'm going to have to keep my eye on for the next few seasons. But no, he was he was uh he was out of there by by season 1. And then when Ned Stark got his head cut off, I think that's when Game of Thrones really really changed. That's when it popped. It's that whole thing. It's um Valar Morghulis, all men must die, but you can have a cool death, or you can have an off-screen death like the Blackfish. You got to hope. Exactly. You got to hope for a cool death. Exactly. You've got to. It's not a question of when; it's a question of how. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, um, I don't know. Hopefully, you don't die in the finale episode, or hopefully, you do, and it's I like, just I like, fantastic. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely right that you're conflicted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Part of me wants to watch you really die. Like I just want to watch the skin just fall from your bones. I think it'll be really thrilling. Go. Yeah. Well, I I will take that as a as a as a minor compliment. Thanks so much <laughs> for the chat, Eugene. Thanks, Dan, so much. It's been great talking to you. 